Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. We are part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casaza. Monday morning question and answer. Chris Anderson, these are always lively after a loss more so than a win. That's the nature of fans and fandom. I don't know that we've uh, had the, the quantity of questions on a morning hour day, two days after podcast, than we do right now. And I don't know that I'm surprised either. What do you think of the uh, response so far to what you saw Saturday evening? Yeah, this has been a, a pretty strong uh, backlash, I think, from the fan base. A lot of responses, a lot of questions. You know, after that, Loss to Maryland to start the year, I think we had, what was it, a hundred? Like, just, it was an absurd amount of questions. I think it was like a hundred. I mean, it's not absurd for people to ask questions, but it, it was a hundred some questions for the mailbag. A lot of them, re, uh, repeats, but ended up with, I think, I can't remember how many words it was in the mailbag to follow up the podcast when we, we hit on a lot of the questions they asked and, and still ended up with like 10,000 words in that story. Um, this one might uh, rival that. Like, I think there was 50 some questions, not quite as many repeats. So it might be about the same amount of questions actually as that first week, but uh, a wide variety and, you know, it, good questions too, like questions that need to be asked and questions that need to be answered. Tomorrow's going to be really interesting. Tomorrow's Brown's news conference. And as I said, I don't I don't think he's had a game like he had on Saturday. You know, getting beat pretty bad the first year or even last year was different. And I mean, this is I, I want to say just a three point loss, and it's again you can cobble together their margins of defeat and say, wow, this team is probably better than the record indicates. And I I get that I don't disagree necessarily, but they haven't given themselves a chance to have a better record. And when they have come close to giving themselves a chance, they've squandered it. And I wonder like what different directions we're going to be coming from with answers and questions because I'm confident that they don't think this is broken. I'm also confident that we probably all need evidence that that's true. And if you look at some some rhetoric or cliches or just like tried and trite responses from coaches that not just here, everywhere pop up, I don't think it's going to be sufficient for a lot of people. I don't know how many of those people will be in the room, but you know, there's some things you have to ask. And, and it's just very curious. And even explanations after the game, I think probably have to be pressed a little bit. And I don't, I don't know what he's going to be like with that stuff. Not that I'm looking forward to it or not that I'm, like, excited about it. Sparring with people is never – verbally sparring with people is never really fun like that because then you're never going to get the answers that you want. Um, but how the questions are asked and how they're answered are going to be really interesting to me tomorrow because, again, what direction are they coming from? What momentum do these questions and responses have? Because I'm – I'm, I'm imagining there's going to be some level of difference there about, well, we're okay. You know, we're just a couple points away from this and that versus, well, yeah, but that's kind of been a continuous story and, and why or how is that the case? But I know we'll definitely see. And I think a lot of people are tuned into this now because you can make patterns. You can watch stuff again, use your eyes and you can see things that shouldn't always be happening. And I think when you look at a game like Saturday and you have 
you know, players who are so close one week and then aren't further away necessarily the following week, albeit against a different and inferior opponent compared to the previous week, but also weren't put in great positions, I don't think, and and didn't have a lot of the, the structure and all the, the uh, coaching, I guess, before and during the game to get them to that win that they really thought they were going to get so they could get back to Dallas, which seems kind of preposterous right now. Maybe that should have been a sign. <laughs> this team was maybe thinking a little bit too far ahead, maybe wouldn't be prepared for Texas Tech. But say what, you want to get refocused, go on the road, play a Baylor team with a really good defense um, that was ranked and, again, hadn't beaten anybody but lost his first game. And, you know, now who's got the reaction now? Who's going to be better prepared to, to get back up from getting knocked down? Is it going to be West Virginia? Is it going to be Baylor? It really might be as simple as that. Does West Virginia have that? I don't know. We might have had our answer Saturday, but we'll definitely have it uh, Saturday sometime after about, what, 3.30, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, I think this could be the most eventful. By if, if, there's, if West Virginia loses in Waco, it could be the most eventful and interesting bye week in recent WVU history. Like, like you said, two, two and four. Um, so, some disappointing losses and you're going into this bye week. There's going to be a lot of decisions that have to be made, tough choices. I'm not talking specifically about quarterback, although that, that could and maybe should be one of them. We'll see. Um, but it's, it's going to be a bad week, a bad bye week if West Virginia falls at two and four. But let me, can I, can, is, is it bad form to kick off the mailbag from our readers with a question from just me? Is that, is that poor form? You own the ship, Stuart Harry. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's related to what you're talking about. And I put it this way in, in the rankings thing that I put up on Sunday morning. And so I'm just going to ask you, which way do you view it? WVU has three losses by a combined 12 points to three teams with a combined 13 and two record. Or if Virginia Tech doesn't try to get cute at the two yard line, WVU is one and four with their lone win over Long Island University. I'm more toward the latter because I can't believe they won that game because I saw how they lost the first three, the other three games. And <laughs> one of those is the exception and not the rule. You know what I mean? Um, and again, I just, I'm not, I'm really not trying to be insensitive or critical, but that's just kind of what this program has done for a little bit now. And I understand that there are built in explanations early on and maybe even last year to some extent that should not be happening now. And it keeps happening. And, and again, I, I, I said it before and I'll say now I can't believe they won that game against Virginia Tech. I can't believe it. And I think if you put those teams in that situation again nine more times, I just Tech get seven touchdowns, you know, something like that. I just feel like the, the odds were so much originally Tech's favor with the things that they had and things they did not use even that um, if you played that again, it would be a different ending. And guess what? It has somewhat played out again twice and what's happened. West Virginia lost both those games. So I'm definitely more toward the one and four than than. The, the sunnier disposition you could put on it. And, again, that, that win-loss record of those opposing teams is very impressive, and it says a lot, but it also says that West Virginia hasn't quite made those strides to get back up in that group and, and, and run with that pack. Well, that was my one question, so let's, let, let's turn it around and get to the questions from our readers. What do you think? Let's do it. Questions from subscribers, answers from us, Chris and I. Chris will sweep it up what we don't get to in a written version that I never actually asked you this beforehand. I probably should one of these days, but when will the written version go up? <laughs> It'll go up tomorrow morning, so Tuesday morning. All right. If you're listening now and you don't want to hear us, uh, you know, beat the dead horse, I don't know, however you want to put it, uh, 
plenty of post-mortem content online. We have tower rankings, uh, plays that change the game. Extremely interesting, Chris. Um, glad you put that together. Texan game day, extremely exciting, eventful, vulgar. I'm not going to lie. I, I was scrolling through it, and then I, I was like, wait, was that my my name in there? Yeah, what in the heck? The ghost of Chris okay. Anderson. Not a vulgarity in the name Chris Anderson. But <laughs> certainly people inspired me to use some brackets in this one. And then, um, listen, tomorrow afternoon, Neil Brown, noon, players, coordinators after. Um, again, questions and answers. We'll see how far we can go there. But until then, questions and answers from you to us. Take it away, Chris. Well, Again, I'm going to add on a little piece of my own question to this one too, because I thought it was it was a good a good question, and then I want to add a, a separate part to it. So this is from the Architect 44. Who's calling the plays? And then I follow up with, do we as media and and then I guess the rest of the fan base too? Does the, the general public deserve to know the answer to that? A clear answer to that. Well. Huh. <laughs> I still think I still think that Brown's calling the plays because I can't see this and I haven't like all the copy I watched from the games is has the commercials and the sideline stuff edited out. It's just the, the play action, but like don't they have these huge like fabric these color fabric things that they're holding behind a coach on the sideline so people in the press box can't see? Am I wrong on that? Yeah. Okay. I am wrong? No, you're right. That that, that is happening. They're and standing there with big fabric up, and they got the three coaches with three different colored WVU shirts on, like red and blue and green, maybe, um, all standing over there. So dumb. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Jared Parker's in the sky. He's not in the field. Neil Brown is on the field. I just can't see a world in which Parker is saying, all right, Neil – we're going to do this, call this, and then Neil signals that in. Now, do those two communicate? Yeah, absolutely. Between series, you know, during stoppages, sure. I think it's Parker being like offensive coordinator. I mean, literally talking into his head coach's ear about what they can do. They get in the channel, they talk about stuff. They can let other people on the channel that are offensive minds and their um, their analysts, whatever, and they can let people into those conversations. But it's Brown calling the plays. Um, I don't. It, was that a mystery? I I don't I don't know if it's a mystery. I mean, I think there was some confusion about the uh, the red zone stuff, which we've talked about going back to last year, where it was kind they of slipped it and maybe they will not yeah. get the answer. And, and well, I think part of it is I don't know if there's a mystery. Like I I always assume the same thing as you right there, and I've never been given any reason to believe otherwise. But so many of the questions are, and, and some of the commentary and some of the um, Anger, I guess, is directed towards. I keep getting asked, "Hey, why pay Jared Parker so much? Fire him, get it, replace him, get a new offensive coordinator." And my answer is uh, is always, "What, what, are, what, are, what is he not doing? Like, I, I mean, he's not the one calling the plays, which everyone seems angry with and upset with. Is is the play calling, and they seem to be pinning it on Parker. And I'm not sure he's the one." I mean, I don't think he's calling plays at all. Like, I haven't heard anything about the red zone uh, trade-off, handoff, whatever, this year. So I don't even know if that's happening still. I, I don't know what happened last year. I don't know if they got caught in a weird situation or a bad explanation, but they just they will not give you a straight answer about who calls plays in the red zone or even how it works. They give you some convoluted, whoa, everybody in the room has a say in it. That's not what happens. But it sure sounded like that they, they traded responsibilities and that when they got – at or near the 20, then Parker might have very well been calling in the plays and then 
Neil would have been signaling him in. Um, Parker may just have been responsible for that script of plays, and they were very good for the first, I would say, the first half of last season. Since then, they have not been good, and it, maybe it's even less than the first half of the season. But since then, they haven't been very good, um, and a lot more field goals and touchdowns, and that's a big deal. You know, the difference between getting you know twenty four and twenty points on Saturday is the difference between a red zone touchdown and a red zone field goal, and also a win the loss. Ultimately, in the end, that's what it came down to. And they, they, they stack up a lot of those now when you look at the past, again, maybe 12, 13 games. It's been a lot of field goals more than touchdowns, and they haven't been as effective. Um, so that's that's a problem. But to the latter point, I just don't understand, like, why, why these things are so, like, mysterious and, and shrouded in, in, you know, some sort of confidentiality there. Just like, yeah, this guy calls the plays, or, yeah, I call the plays. I mean, there there are – there are times when they're pretty honest about stuff. Hey, you can blame me, or hey, that was a mistake we made, or hey, we just didn't have the right personnel in the field. Sometimes that stuff comes out. That stuff, for whatever reason, has been kind of protected. I'm not sure why. Does it require an answer again? Maybe because red zone offense is kind of an issue that they sure could tighten up and benefit from. But um, I think to this question, I'd be interested in what was the, the brain trust that went into the Oklahoma opening? Because that was very good. And then what was what they said they script the second half or like what's what's the mechanism that steers them down just a different path in the second half of these games. So again, they were pretty good on their opening drives the first four games this year. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Got painted in the corner last game, I get that, but they never got going. And then if you look at the second halves, again, if we're comparing first quarter, first drive scripts for the first four games and the last one. I don't know. That's not fair necessarily. I get they were in a bad spot, but they still were pretty bad in the first half. Never got on script. But then what caused them to be so ineffective in the second half of the first four games, not three of the first four games, but really good in the second half last game? Something's different there, and it's not it's not an even um, an even execution or an even plotting and planning there, I would think. Something changed. Something is different. And does that change going forward? Is there, in fact, a difference? I don't know because – they were very good and they were different in the second half. They were aggressive. They knew they had to get 17 points. I just, I'd look at that offense the first three of the first four games and I'm like, how do they not play that way? How do they not think they need more points? How do they not play more aggressive? And then I have a question about that I'd ask you toward the end. That might have been a little bit of fool's gold. We'll see. But listen, this is a time where people are going to be picky about stuff and they want answers. And sometimes just getting, you know, um, uh, a formulaic answer. Or an answer that just seems very general and sounds good until you put it on a screen or on paper and that doesn't make any sense. That's probably not going to be enough for a lot of people. Well, it is part of the downside of, uh, of, and I'm not meaning this as a snarky comment here, but getting cute with all this co-coordinator, co-this, co-that, co-director, um, when you don't have clear and defined roles, it's difficult to determine not just accountability, but also, you know, who, who deserves credit too for thing, you know, for the positive, who deserves the positive uh, feedback and, and accolades and who deserves the blame when things go wrong. And I get that it is a joint venture with everyone involved, but at some point it needs to fall on a person. It, somebody has to be in charge of a group or a side of the ball or, or the team. And I mean, it is, you got a head coach, you got coordinators, but there's a lot of this, Co-coordinator, everyone contributes to this. Everybody does this when in reality that's, that's part of the job. When you are the coordinator, when you get paid the big bucks to be the coordinator, the, the buck stop, you know, buck stops with you. And that's how it, that's kind of an issue where no one seems to know 
who to ask the questions to or or who is to blame, who is the credit for what's going on. I would agree. Um, let me ask you my fool's gold question. Go for it. Was West Virginia's offense better in the third quarter, or did Texas Tech just say, you probably can't score 17 points in a quarter to even this up without making some mistakes. We're going to play soft, and we're going to keep everything in front of us. And then when things had to tighten up again a little bit, Texas Tech changed its defense and played a little bit better. Or or maybe maybe not. Maybe West Virginia did, in fact, you know, yak that last possession. But do, do you think that it was more of a Texas Tech defensive philosophy or more of a West Virginia rejuvenation on offense? I did feel like it was a change in scheme, a change in plans for West Virginia's offense. I did feel like it was much more aggressive. I felt like it was more spread out. Um, they, they seemed to get the ball in space quicker. And, yeah, maybe that was because Texas Tech was backing off. But I do feel like they, they went tempo. I don't recall them going quite with the tempo that they did um, in the third quarter like they or in the first half like they did in the third quarter. So I, I think it was different from West Virginia. Yeah, maybe Texas Tech was backing off a little bit, but West Virginia's offense was different. It, they They did different things. They had a sense of urgency about them. And they seem to go a little more vertical. And, well, I guess that leads me to this question from 83-89 grad. I guess if you believe that to be the case, that West Virginia's offense was different, was can West Virginia repeat the success of the third quarter using the same tactics and play calling? Is this something West Virginia can do every game, all game, Mike? Yeah, they have to get a team that plays zone like that because Texas Tech did play zone and kept, you know, they would they would send three or four, um, which they were able to do pretty effectively. That was concerning but mm-hmm. if you have if you're dropping seven or eight your receivers have to be active and you're going to have to play probably more 10 personnel than you want because you're going to have to flood those zones and do it and I, I thought it was interesting that O'Loughlin played in the 10 personnel and as like a fourth receiver that's a little twist that's good and that might have had to do with some tempo they were trying to get into but you're going to have to hit the mesh stuff and the crossing routes and you have to try to hit the sticks and the things out of the backfield because you really have to open them wide before you can take the top off. And they did that. So even if they were different, they were smart to take advantage of what was there and what was open, like spotting it or even predicting it and saying, all right, they're going to do this. So here for, therefore let's do this. That's fine. That counts still. They were good. Can they do that? They're going to have to get a team that plays zone or plays like that too. And if you match up man against West Virginia, you're kind of hoping that Winston Wright can't, you know, win foot races on drag routes and or Diggy can't make deep shot connections to Ford Wheaton, Isaiah Esdale, maybe Sam James up the seam or in a post in the middle. And you take your chances there and you're just like, all right, maybe Winston Wright or Sam James catches short stuff and runs around us. We can track him down and catch him before it's a big game and there's not going to be this deep. You might see a lot of man against West Virginia. I don't know. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you what, what goes into the mind of the defense, but I would think it's something like that. Like if you're going to try to scheme West Virginia's defense, you're more likely to get beat by letting them march down the field against you than by letting them hit a deep pass against you. So could they do it? Sure, but it's got to be against the right defense. This question comes from Cole1867. Um, and there's, there's some questions here that are going to be coming about the coaching staff and um, – this one, this one is in relation to Sean Reagan, the quarterback's coach. He says, uh, we have a lot of issues as a, as a team, but QB is always the most visible and most closely scrutinized position. How has Sean Reagan been able to avoid criticism for the most part? Please evaluate his performance as the QB position coach. I mean, you, we're, we're talking about it even when we're not talking about it. Every time that you talk about Daigie 
or even specifically why Green isn't ready to take on more of it, you're kind of talking about your quarterback coach there. So that speaks to his performance. They have a pretty good quarterback coach on the roster, too, as a analyst, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's coincidence or not. We'll see. Um, the fact that Diggy isn't better at this or that, you might put that on the quarterback coach. Some of that stuff is hard to teach this late in the quarterback's career, like instinctual skills, reactions, anticipation even. That's kind of inherent at some point, or you have it or you don't. It's really hard to put that in someone's skill set this late on in his career. Now, that doesn't mean he shouldn't be more nimble or more mobile or, or getting out of the pocket more. But, again, I don't know how many times you got to tell somebody, don't go left or right. You know, stay in the pocket, climb the pocket, go out the middle, you know. Um, sometimes that's easier than going around the corner and running into extra defenders. So we'll see. Decision-making from the quarterback, how much of that is on the quarterback coach. These things are probably open to your interpretation. The fact that there are so many it's been so long is probably an indication that they're stacking up um, on the quarterback coach's side for sure. The, the fact that they don't have a better response or a better you know alternative or even a better starter probably goes along the strikes against the quarterback coach there too. The one thing is too is we don't ever get to talk to these assistant coaches, so it's hard to say like what he's frustrated about, what's good, what's working, what we're maybe missing. Um, and when you get to talk to a guy once a year and he comes out and says about how great his quarterback has been, and how he's a leader, and he's got low body low body fat, and uh, he's more explosive outside of the pocket, and it doesn't work out that way. Well, he doesn't have a chance to come back in the room and say, well, here's what's not working. He doesn't have a chance to have a conversation with you and explain some things or answer some questions. So, unfortunately, all those things I'm talking about that stack up against him, he's got no reprisal against it, too. So, and again, it makes the conversation difficult. But, you know, sometimes you can't trade out the players. In college football, you can't trade out the players. You know what you can do? You can trade out the coaches. That's an unfortunate reality, but that is still the reality. And I'm about to give an analogy here, and there's going to be some people who listen to it and be like, Chris, you're an idiot. That's dumb. Um, but I'm prepared for that, so go ahead and, and get it out if you need to. But um, <laughs> I'm coaching my first time through with kid pitch baseball, and this kind of goes to your point of the coach can only do so much and say so much, especially, and, and teach so much, and it's really just on the players. And I don't – this isn't like a, a vast defense of Sean Reagan. Again, I don't know what he's taught uh, Daggy. I don't know what he's taught Eric Green. Maybe he's teaching the right things, and they're not listening. Um, and then, you know, that obviously brings to the question of, hey, they got to bring in better players or guys that are going to listen more, and, and that's on the staff too. But you – I mean, I had a kid the other day that we were down one run, and I look right at him. He's on second base, and I say, there's no outs. You do not have to run. Do not run unless the coach tells you to run. Your third base coach tells you to run. Okay, coach, got it. Kid hits the ball right to third base. Kid runs anyway, right into a tag, gets out. Um, I mean, is that is that is that bad coaching? I don't think so. Uh, you know that that's. I mean, I'm defending myself there, but that's that's the kind of stuff that you deal with. And yeah, hey, that that kid's seven, eight years old, but you're running into kind of similar situations in, in all the way up through college and even in the NFL. And in the NFL, you bench that guy, you trade that guy, you sign somebody else. In college, that's it until next year. you got to find something else. you got to figure it out and try to make it work. And So I don't know how much you can pin on Sean Reagan in this situation, but I'm not 
putting up a, a, a vast defense here because as, as another, uh, user kind of points out and I'm going to agree with him and Mike, I'll let you chime in with your thoughts. Was Jared Diggy better in 2019 than he is right now? I mean, the fact that you can't laugh at that question or just say, no, come on, is right. not a great sign. I just leave it at that there too, but, um, to, to, but to go back to your question there too, it's the, it's the nature of the mistakes too. I don't remember the mistakes and the quantity or even the quality that we're getting now. And again, like, like missing Ford Wheaton in the back of the end zone and missing Brown and maybe right in the back of the end zone is bad. Um, is that coaching? I don't know. They work on accuracy an awful lot, like an awful lot. And they work on the red zone and those two point plays an awful lot. I'm not that those aren't two point plays. I get that, but man, that depth, that situation that gotta have it urgency is there is that coaching again if you put the guy in the situations at some point it's on the player but if it's not working why and then maybe that guy shouldn't be there and we're talking about red zone stuff and green apparently is the red zone guy where they have stuff for him he's not another one of the situations and that's tough i get that um but then just tapping the ball instead of throwing it out of bounds that's a um just a brain failure at that moment right it, mm-hmm. it just, you kind of freeze and don't respond and I'm sure that Sean Reagan didn't coach him to do that, but that's his player out there who doesn't have the awareness too. And just those mistakes, I don't remember before, but was he in these situations where they're playing in really competitive games or whatever? In fact, he was. Like they won two road games and they had to play close. And I haven't watched those before, but I know that he had, I would say like humble numbers, but better than what they had. And he made some big plays when he had to, like especially outside the pocket. That's what was crazy. Like that long touchdown to Kansas State, right? Estale? Was that TCU? Okay. There was one, there was one to the right hand side for the touchdown. That might have been Esdale and that might have been TCU. And then there was the other one where he broke free from a sack and threw, yeah, to the left hand side. Was that Ford Wheaton? And, Wheaton and, yeah. and it was like, man, those, look at those plays. And now you look back this year and you're thinking, ah, oh, he's not making those plays now. Like, yeah. you don't see that now. I would agree. It's, and that's awareness. That's getting outside and doing things. And I just think, like, what I compare that to now is that he was in and you have the backup mentality and the gunslinger state of mind. And sometimes you can get coached out of that because, listen, you got to be in here for the long haul. You are the option right now. You don't want to do the things that bring the other guy into the room, into the conversation, onto the field. I'm not saying they discourage him from being a player, but I wonder how many times a player does rein that in because, hey, I could go out and make this because guess what? They put me in. You know, we, we were playing house money at that point. We're going to make a bowl. Let's win two out of three and see what happens. You know, they, they, they could have made a bowl if they had gone three and oh, they went two and one instead. But still, you get the idea, like, they didn't have a whole lot to lose at that point. Well, once you're in trench as a starter before a season starts, you have everything to lose, most notably your job. Um, and I just wonder how many times he's reined himself in or how many times he's been, he's just been to that coaching car wash of do this, do this, do this, in sequence, progression, all that stuff you hear about with quarterbacks that you focus so much on the procedural parts of the position that you just forget that some cool things exist outside the box. But then again, they keep telling you don't get outside that box. Like literally don't go outside the pocket here because you're not good at that. Well, if you start worrying about those things, then it can become quite the internal struggle there. And sometimes I wonder about how much that exists within him because there was a guy who did make plays and did have some of that, that, uh, that I don't want to say recklessness, but that just that little bit of sense of like abandoning the safety of the position and the safety of the coaching to go and do something a little bit outside the box. 
and you really don't see that very much now. And maybe he's not a great quarterback inside the box, and that's what we're seeing. Next question, again, this is, I think, might be the last one on the coaching staff side of things. This one from Timber Pimp. The, if West Virginia wins six or fewer games and the offense is still struggling, does Shane Lyons sit down with Neil and tell him he's got to make changes to his staff? Or does he trust Neil enough to not meddle? And if Brown doesn't get it fixed and improve the program, he'll take action then. Listen, this is fascinating to me because this is a lot sooner than it was supposed to happen. And you mentioned bye week, Chris. Mm-hmm. If they lose, I wonder what type of discussions happen as far as, you know, who's doing this, who's not. I mean, if they lose to Baylor and if if it's more of the same, I wonder if you use that week in between games, that, that open week to make some changes. I'm not saying fire people. Although maybe people get fired. We're seeing that now. Position coaches stink. Yeah. I was about to ask you that. Sorry to interrupt, but because we've seen that from a couple teams. When Auburn fired their receivers coach after like a week, right? It was like week two they fired him. When was the last time West Virginia fired assistant coach midseason? Well, midseason, not really, but 2010, they <laughs> they, were, they were supposed to handle it a little bit better than they did, but they did fire their offensive line coach or offensive coordinator. They brought Holgerson in, and you know, but that was still with a bowl game left. But uh, they were they were going to have to make changes, and that was made pretty clear at the end of that season too. Um, but the, the break point of the schedule is such that listen, if you're two and four, break. You got to get to a bowl. Like financially, you you really do need to like get to a bowl, and, and not not just the money for that, but everything, the momentum for your program, and everything you've been talking about for three years. Like if you don't get to a bowl in your third year, that's bad. So you need to sit down and figure out. Listen, do we have the right ten people on the field and in the coach's box? Do we have a better option who is a GA? An analyst, you know, or, or hey, it could be as simple as this guy shouldn't be calling plays, this guy should be calling plays, or this guy should be on the field, or this guy should be in the press box. You look at everything there, and that's probably a really good time to do it. And like, I don't want to hear, well, it's too hard to do in the course of the season. That's nonsense. That's like, that's like people who are scared to make a decision, um, and, and don't want the crowd to make a decision for them, or let people think that the crowd is making a decision for them. Sometimes the crowd is right, not because the crowd is right, but because like, they understand it's the right thing to do, too. So, it might be the situation where, I mean, they might look at something and say, this isn't working. We have a better option. Let's do what we can for these six games. And then maybe we have an answer. And it's similar to the situation at quarterback. Like, you have to know. Because if you if you have a guy you think is really good on the staff right now who's not in that position at doing something, again, I'm not going to be specific here, but, like, there are certain situations you can certainly see. And you give it a spin for six games, for four games, whatever, and it works, then you know. If not, you at least know when you go on a plan C at that point. So that's interesting to me. After the season, listen, if they don't make a bowl, better believe Lions is going to be involved. Uh, he extended the assistant coaches and gave them raises, and he extended his head coach and did not give him a raise th- for this year. But Neil Brown gets a huge raise next season because they thought they were going to be good this year. Like his salary in 2020 is the same as it is this season, and then there's a big bump in pay next year. By the way, contract extension on 11-11 record because they really thought this team was going to be good and satisfy um, whatever concerns or, or curiosity might exist from giving coaches extensions and raises. So Brown's pay bump comes in off of a 4-8 and eight season, whatever, 5-7 and seven season. That's not going to look good for Shane Lyons. And Shane Lyons is really respected for his job, may very well be good at what he does. And if this doesn't look good, wouldn't he be involved in saying, even asking the questions, like, hey, Neil, are you sure? Are you sure on this position? Are you sure on this arrangement? Are you sure this guy shouldn't be here? Will he come in and say, hey, Neil, 
uh, I got some ideas. Go hire this guy and fire this guy. I don't know that he goes that far, but I think that he definitely tells Brown four and eight, five and seven is not going to do it in year four. You have to get yourselves into a bowl game, um, because or else he's kind of knocking on the door, or at least he's he's walking up the sidewalk. And that's just the truth. I'm not saying you fire Brown, but like if you're under 500 in three of your first four years, that's concerning about stuff, and that you might have stuff that's working really well on the outside of the program. But at some point, what's outside the program comes in and it's part of your program that if it's sub 500, sub 500, sub 500, three out of four years, well, it's the stuff that's happening outside the program really that beneficial to the actual program. Those questions start to answer themselves, too. So I think before Lions would ever want to get there and have to talk seriously to himself or boosters or donors or whatever, again, a long time from now, don't get me wrong, he'd much rather have the conversation with Brown to say, you got to get yourselves into a, a better situation here. And by the way, I got your back. If you got to spend to fire and to hire, let's do it. Let's make sure we're right. But I got your back. But like, we have to have these conversations. I think that's more likely the conversation that happens. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm with you. I talked earlier about the the, the roles that everybody plays, clearly defined roles, and, and where the buck stops. And, oh, hey, yeah, it stops with the head coach. No, it doesn't stop with the head coach. That's where it, it gets to that point for the most part. It stops with the athletic director. Like if the football program sucks or something goes wrong and you have to make coaching changes, then people start looking at Shane Lyons and saying, hey, weren't you the guy that interviewed two coaches and one is ranked inside the top five right now and now we're, you know, struggling and going backwards? What what were you thinking? And and so the buck stops with Shane Lyons when you start going down this path, when you go all the way to the top, especially when he's the one that is, you know, essentially uh, signing the checks here for all of these guys. So I could see him intervening, but you're right. He has to find that fine line between uh, overbearing and making some suggestions or at least making it clear of, hey, if, you're not going to make some changes, then what happens is on you, mm-hmm. and just know that. And so I think um, it's a fine line. It's it's not. I don't think there's a clear answer here. And I'm with you. I think we're still a ways away from that. But this, uh, and again, there were a couple of people that asked this type of question about what sign. What, what sign is it that there there is actually a climb going on? And I don't agree there was there were signs that there was a climb going on. I mean, he took over a program that was as far as scholarship numbers was down into the 50s because of, you know, a lot of transfers, uh mass graduation after 2018 and that team was expected to go 2 and 10 at least according to Vegas that season. 2019 they were expected to go 2 and 10. Uh-huh. They went 5 and yeah, I mean they were only favored in two games. Um what was it? At Kansas and against JMU and neither of those games we're by more than a touchdown. And they went five and seven. It's like, hey, that's good. Then you bring in the best recruiting class ever. And then the team goes six and four. 
and then you bring in a new best recruiting class ever. It's like, hey, this is a good step, stepping up, stepping up, stepping up. But to fall back this year, I think is pretty devastating to your mantra. Obviously, it's a climb and you're not climbing. But to fall backwards in the third year with all of your players now. I mean, this is the majority of this team is your players and you have reestablished the roster. It's no longer. I mean, if you're going four and eight when you have 52 scholarship players and most of them are guys from another another coaching staff and another scheme, that's one thing. If you end up going four and eight in year three with a hand-picked roster that is now up around 80 scholarship players, that's on that's on you. Like that's no longer you can no longer blame the situation. You can no longer blame the previous coaching staff. That's on you, and that's a devastating blow to be having right now, especially when there's that lingering conference thing that are going to have. You know what what's the Big 12? What's it going to be? Uh, what's going to happen next? Is it still Power Five? Th- th- those conversations kind of permeated through recruiting circles, and other schools were using it against West Virginia. And if if this is this is not the time to be falling flat on your face. Yeah, I I think they're better than four wins in five. I think they'll I think they can get to six, but it's it's very interesting because they're going to have to win some road games. But what what's the two things I, I want to keep an eye on for the offseason if it does come to this is if they go five and seven, how much of it is given to well, just one bad snap against Oklahoma or well, um, had a touchdown pass against Texas Tech. How much is going to be like that because that that can be dangerous sometimes, but that can also be true. I mean that can be true. They they just snap the ball cleanly. Against Oklahoma, they might have won that game. And if they hit a touchdown pass against Texas Tech, they might have won that game. So there's something to that, and that'll be interesting too. But also just other things too. You know, if if they're only playing six offensive linemen deep in November, or if Letty Brown ends up with like 720 yards rushing and Justin Johnson has 100 snaps all year, that I mean, heck, that might even be too many. If he has like 60 snaps all year, or or if the backups combine for like 100 snaps, then you haven't made good on your promise of let's get Letty Brown out of the game or off the field or out of the scope and make sure he is fresh in November. Just things like that that are being spoken but aren't being seen to fruition. Uh, that would be curious, man. And the defensive side of the ball is similar, too. Like, are there depth situations there that are going to affect their performance? Because after two games, we've heard, yeah, we got tired at the end of it. And probably true, but, you know, those are things you have to work during the season to cure. So, yeah, record is one thing, but how you arrive at the record and and – Again, speaking things and executing things are very different and how much that is part of the conversation. Because again, you could say, well, we'll get better at that next year. Maybe, but the present does count for something too. So it's things I want to keep an eye on for as this goes down the road. If it is, if it is dilapidated and if the wheels are falling off and this is a team that's not going to make a bowl even by the time they get to the Kansas game at the end of the season, um, that's just stuff I would circle. I got a, a, time management related question that that's different than what we're accustomed to talking about here. But uh, I read the question and just stared at it and wow, what a great idea. Um, So kudos WVU four, nine, one, nine, two, eight, also known as the Oracle um, from spring Valley question at the end of the half, Texas tech rushed on substitutes to kick the field goal because they substituted doesn't the referee have to hold play and allow us to substitute as well? Could we have not taken our time substituting, forcing the clock to run out before the kick? No official's going to stand over the ball there. <laughs> okay, I mean, but that 
it, like he has a point, right? Like if if you sub one player, the referee has to stop and allow the defense to on offense. If offense subs a player, they changed this rule a few years ago. Ref has to stand over the ball and let the defense make subs. I mean, obviously, Tech made a lot of subs to get their field goal unit onto the field. So, I mean, I, I get you know, it's like, hey, don't don't call penalties in the last few seconds or whatever, you know, on hail mary. Don't call pass interference on hail marys, but technically, he's right. Like they should have given West Virginia a chance to sub in, and West Virginia could have lollygagged their way up to the line and plays over. Because that wasn't a first down either, right? No. That's a good question, except I think that West Virginia's field goal block team is actually its defense, too. Ah. I wonder I wonder how many of that is, like, 11 for 11, because you typically keep your defense out there, or at least a lot of it, for the event that it might be a fake. Um, but your punt returner is not somebody who's on defense, so you would at least have that sub. Um, or, excuse me, your, actually, no, that would be a block, my bad. So your field goal block team is typically whomever – is on your defense because again you keep your defense in because it might be a fake. Um, I'm sorry, I'm looking up the rules and it's going over punt substitutions and all that stuff here, so I'm confused. But frequently your your defense is your punt and field goal block slash return. There are some exceptions there too, so you do get some subs. Um, but I wonder how close 11 for 11 their PAT field goal block is to their defense that was on the field that they would have made a sub. But listen, it's a good point. It's a good point. I don't know. I, that's a that's something I would. I don't know. Maybe go fire up an email to somebody I know and officiating about that and see what the deal is. I don't. I don't have a good answer to that. I, as you said, when I saw the question, I was like, actually, I never, I never thought about that before. I never looked at the rule book and I never had a great explanation for that. So perhaps we we pin that when I come back. Um, this one from Christian Christian Shuck ninety six. A little fun one here. What horror slash drama movie best describes WVU football right now? It is it is Halloween. Can I go first? Uh, I'm I'm actually very upset because I thought I had an extremely clever answer to this, and before I could and I thought of it right away, and before I could even scroll like three posts down on our message board to get to the next question when I was I was making my story, someone already wrote the answer. Um, Final Destination. Have you ever seen any of those movies? No. So the premise is, you know, death is predetermined essentially for you. And at one point, a, a kid and a, has a premonition of him dying on a plane crash, wakes up, yells, gets himself kicked off the plane, and the plane crashes, but he and his friends live, and death circles back around to make sure that they all end up dying anyway. So, like, and it did, it happens in the most ridiculous way possible for each of them because they were supposed to die, and now it circles back around to make sure they die. And all I was thinking was, West Virginia was supposed to lose that Virginia Tech game, and they somehow avoided it, and now it's circled back two weeks in a row to make sure that they lose again and again. And that's all I could think about with that final destination in West Virginia, but somebody else on the board thought of it instantly as well, so maybe it wasn't as clever as I thought. Can I have the Duke? Go for it. Yeah. Um you kind of have this 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 kid, group of kids, kid whatever, who starts acting weird and has a hard time resting and sleeping, you know, tossing and turning long nights, Chris. And you wonder why, but it's this 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 like constant fear, concern, preoccupation with this monster. 
that I don't know is a, a figment of his imagination, is it not? But it's this thing out that's out there, and it, it just troubles him so much he can't get rest, and he can't get sleep, and it just around the clock it's always just nagging at him, and he starts like build these weapons to fight the Babadook. But weird things happen still, you know, just at strange times, Chris. Weird things happen. Doors are flying open, windows opening and shutting. Um, and it just kind of goes from there. And it's a horror film. I don't want to give it away. It's excellent. But, like, uh, the Babadook's always there, and you have to defeat it. Because if you don't, uh, all the munitions that you have to beat it don't matter. Because it's the Babadook, right? It's always there. It's always haunting you. It keeps you from getting to where you want to be. You can't get a good night's sleep. You can't have fun on a day when you want to have fun. And then and all of a sudden, everybody else is worried about it. You know, the mom is very worried about it, and, and it becomes her obsession then, too. And then the phone rings one day, Chris, and it's the Babadook. And every part of your day just becomes kind of troubled because the dang Babadook doesn't go anywhere. you got to beat it. you got to find a way to. And if not, it just keeps making your, your existence miserable. I like it. Great. I, yeah. Um. Let's see. Next question we got. Let's do two more here. I think somebody had a interesting question because we we talked about this a lot, and I think we were the only ones. But from NJSOB, did West Virginia try to recruit a transfer quarterback in the off season? Do you remember the conversation we had? <laughs> I would love to have truth serum and get Neil Brown like in the corner of a party and just like slip in his drink. <laughs> um. Cause like, that's a great question. Like it was, if it happened, it happened so quietly that you and I never heard about it. Never. Right. And then, although we suggested it, yes, said he had to, and we knew that he had done it before. I mean, obviously he brought in Austin Kendall and then three months later brought in Jared Dagey. So he's not opposed to doing it. It would have been risky. It would have been, had to have been like so covert on a visit, which would have been difficult, but I, I really would love to know that one day because I don't know how you could go into the situation as it is right now, except that like they, they pretty much said that green did not progress at the rate they wanted. That's been out there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So they probably thought they had Diggy most improved player on the team. He was going to be situated to be fine. And that if not green would be a suitable backup. Well, probably not that one of those is true. One has been said and one has been seen, but man, they could have had something They could have had someone. The trouble is, you're not, you don't want to bring in a backup. I mean, this is the one thing I said was a strike against going out and getting a transfer. You don't need a backup because then that stifles Green's development, maybe Crowder's development. You got to get somebody out there who's definitely better than Daigie, understanding that you're probably going to lose Daigie too. And I understand people might say, so what? But I don't know. Their hit rate on transfers isn't so good that you would think a quarterback coming in in June is going to be a guy who wins you eight or nine games. And who is that transfer going to be? Is it going to be Tyler Shuck? Is it going to be I don't know, any one of the number of transfers. I don't know. I think it's something to revisit and look at and say, man, could this have been different? That's one answer I would really like to have. If I had a chance just to, to slip Neil Brown's drink, <laughs> but like just do something to get the, the honest answer out of hand, that would be a question I'd love to ask. You're right. We, I mean, we talked about it, and we said the same. Yeah, like you couldn't get a backup. It had to be a clear-cut starter. And I think at the time when we, we talked about it, Maybe there was like one or two and that were, that were clear cut would definitely start over Daggy. And I don't think either of them had, you know, any, any, any connection with West Virginia or the coaching staff never really talked about it. So who knows what kind of back, you know, backwater 
contacts that went on trying to get in touch with guys because that's what happens with with transfers even with the transfer portal it has to be connections through GAs and high school coaches and different ways like that to try to get in touch and see who's really looking around who's available and who might be able to fit in and and that was the only way that was going to happen and I don't I I think I think never heard from any capital S sources or even lowercase s sources that um you know it was on the table it was discussed and I just I'm not not sure there were that many options that were clear cut starters out there mm-hmm. the the one thing is I don't really have to get somebody who is definitely better than Daigie I get that but that you don't need a backup you just have to get somebody who runs an offense that is better than the offense that Daigie runs and that was a distinction we did make back then you don't have to get someone better than Daigie but like if you're going to do this for lack of a better phrase, this Garrett Green offense, just find somebody who's better at that than what Daigie is at whatever it is he does. So you could have found people that might have been out there and could have done it. Is it like, I don't know, is it like Will Levis who went, what, Penn State to Kentucky? It was pretty good. Um, is it, is it anybody else? Like, I don't, I just don't know. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be like the, the best quarterback out there. Is it just somebody who is better at the offense you want to run? as opposed to better than the offense that you have. I'd love to know. And maybe we'll never know. Maybe we will never know. Um, maybe the last question uh, depends on if you got something else up your sleeve you definitely want to talk about, but from Schmalz 08 WVU, what are the realistic goals for the team the rest of the season? Is the main goal now just to simply make a bowl game? There are smaller goals that go into that. You know, let's, let's become more explosive on offense. Let's, you know, be more efficient on special teams. Let's cut out the penalties. Let's manage timeouts. Yeah. Those things that just have to, for the purpose of appearance, would be better. But if they're not in a bowl game, it's a bad situation. So the short answer. Yeah. They've got to get to six wins and I'm counting three right now. They have two with the two that they have in Kansas, but how, how interesting, Chris, if they are five and six. Which look at their schedule is not ridiculous. If they're five and six going to Kansas, like is that the Kansas bowl game? It might be. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, that that team might be you know one ten at that point too or whatever. So that, that who knows? But uh, boy, that's a situation you don't want to find yourself in there too. But yeah, um, it's it's a big big deal not being able to go to a bowl game because it just if you don't if you're five and seven if you're at home and you're you're having to go out and sell that stuff and keep your recruiting class together and all this stuff about progress and momentum and trust in the climb and all that. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to do that without getting the obvious question of, well, yeah, but what are you doing this time of year? You know, why are you here and not in Memphis for a bowl game or Dallas for a bowl game? Stuff like that, I think is, is, um, really, really important. I'm with you. And you talked about the financial aspects of this for, for the West Virginia athletic department as well. Um, getting, getting some wins, getting some bowl games, getting, I mean, you're going to see it. Um, I think to be quite honest, we kind of already saw it with this last game. Fan apathy. Like, I don't want to be overly negative on that, but to, to not fill up the stadium for the homecoming. Um, you know, after a couple tough, after a tough loss, I mean, all the excitement in the world for Virginia Tech for that first home or well, second home game after Long Island, but, um, you, you need that money. You need that ticket money if you're West Virginia. You need the fans to show up. 
the community needs it. The athletic department needs it. And if things go south, so does that money. And so does the bowl game money disappears and, and TV money and, and everything else. So um, I think it, it's important for a lot of reasons that West Virginia at least get to that six win mark. Yeah, the bowl, the bowl game doesn't give you money, but having empty stadiums and not making a bowl, and then you know you don't get a lot of money by not making a bowl. It's all shared and everything. If you don't add to the pot, you obviously don't get as much out of it. But like that, yeah. and then just the, everything that comes with it, like the money you make in the stadium, the money you make in parking around the stadium, all that stuff too. Like if you if you're bringing thirty eight, forty two thousand people in a game on a Saturday a couple times a year, that's really bad. Like it's that's not a good thing. Like it's it's a it has a lot of tentacles. Just just the fact of winning games gets you to a bowl, but that there's so many tentacles that come with being bowl eligible and just getting to that that. Um, I think that's a pretty pretty big deal. Do you have? Let me ask you this: Do you see six here? I'm not saying what their final record is, but like they have seven games left, and then you know we mentioned this before, but like suddenly Oklahoma State looks tough. Uh, that's a road game, right? Am I wrong? No, yeah, sorry. Yeah. no it's home. Yeah, home game. Iowa State's a home game. Iowa State. I don't know. Like I know it's funny to make fun of them in December, but they typically get their act together, and who knows? But then. They're winnable games. I'm using winnable because I think those are their higher percentages. They're on the road, but still they haven't been a very good road team. They got to buck that trend. Um, I, I'm saying they have three right now because I'm counting Kansas, but they got to win three out of those six, and those are split home in the road. And they, I mean, they they have to find a way to win four before they lose four, and that's that could be hard. Like if they don't, I, I mean, if they don't get better, obviously that's not going to happen. But is there a way for them to get better and take care of this sooner or later? Is this going to be something that's like the 11th hour? Uh, that's really interesting to me. And I never thought this conversation was going to happen, to be honest. I thought they'd be like a serious, like seven win, eight win team this year. Yeah. I think before the year, I went, I, my predictions was like eight wins. And I was thinking like, yeah, seven to eight. And if things go really great, nine. Um, and I went with eight with the assumption that the offense would be better and that one of those wins would be Maryland. And another one of those wins would be Texas Tech. And so you're not counting those two. Um, and you, you, the offense is not better, like I assumed. So if you're asking me if, uh, I predicted eight and two of the wins I predicted have not happened. So you're already down to six and the offense isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. I, I do, do you want me to end this podcast on this note by saying I'm, I'm, I might be predicting West Virginia not to make a bowl game. Like it's going to be really hard, like a lot harder than I think people believe it to be. Yeah. Um, beginning of the season, I think we both answered this question. What was the most significant game on the roster on the schedule? Uh, I picked Texas Tech. I just thought they had to have that one. Like if they wanted to like really make a move and get over some people in the standings, they had to beat Texas Tech. Um, not patting myself in the back, but the fact that they don't have that in their pocket right now. Three and two and two and three isn't that much different, but zero and two in the conference makes it really difficult to get where you want to go. Um, bowl assignments aren't necessarily handed out in order on your record, but if you're two games behind somebody, that is significant. For example, and if you lost a head-to-head, that can matter, especially if you're a game behind them, that can do it. Um, that that's <laughs> that that just seems to me like the right answer back then. It seems like now the fact they didn't get that game, and as you just mentioned, that's one that you thought you had in your pocket that you don't right now. And how do you get it? You're going to have to get one that you don't think is going to be in your pocket. And those, I mean, the two you're probably looking at are Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Those seem like they're far away, if not for the back of their home. Speaking of preseason stuff, it just got me thinking of that 
going back and doing the research on the Power Five season openers for West Virginia. And you win that one. West Virginia typically ends the year around nine and three. You lose that one. They typically end around six and six. West Virginia lost that one. So the trend will, is likely to continue here. Uh, last one. Have you seen the Texas Tech schedule? No, I have not. Uh, they go home TCU. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what to expect from TCU anymore. <laughs> I don't either. The Max, the Max, the Max Dugan roller coaster is a tough one to to handle. It's almost like Spencer Sanders for me. They they play Texas really well every year, no matter what. I think they might stink. So that might be a win. They go to Kansas. They get Kansas State at home. I mean, they might be seven to one. <laughs> and then they go at Oklahoma, home against Iowa State. Home against Oklahoma State, they might be seven and four. <laughs> but like I'm looking at it like that, I don't think they're good. But their schedule breaks in a way that they might actually get in. If they get shook back, I don't know. Columbia's Columbia's different. Like he's he's not a bad player. He's serviceable. You might you might trade him if you're one of these teams in the conference. I'd like to get that guy on my team. Um, I don't know. Maybe West Virginia's one of those teams. He's he makes things happen. Not scared. Does a good deep ball. But like I'm looking at their schedule and they have a chance to be like, what did you say? It was thirteen and two with the records of the teams they beat. Yeah. Imagine if they add three more wins to that, and Oklahoma's probably not going anywhere. Maryland, I don't know, that was an abomination, their performance the other day, but that's probably better than a team that turns it over seven times a week consistently. So my point is it's up to West Virginia to sort out as good as their record or as, as, or as a victim of their schedule. Uh, we'll see. Chris, upcoming on the site, anything anything good? I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll have some more recruiting stuff. Um I think I we yeah, have one more week, and so I'll, I'll I'll save my basketball not preview, but just a big picture thing on basketball coming up that I'll I'll talk about next week. Um, I'm about to post something, but it'll probably be up before you guys listen to this. But a little tidbit on basketball recruiting, uh, which seems relevant because uh, the hoops team had a couple guys on campus today, and I think yeah. the final piece to the 2022 basketball recruiting class may have been there. And I'll, I'll post that on there, um, and uh, our VIP members can can read up on that and some other things that are coming with recruiting. Uh, and for those who aren't VIP, uh, just started a promo two months for one dollar for VIP members. Uh, that will cover one buck, one single dollar will cover the entire rest of the football season, the early signing period for basketball, the start of basketball season. Uh, I believe the first. Big official visit weekend for football in the week leading up to the early signing period for football. So uh, be a good time to try us out for for one single dollar. We're gonna have to talk about that, Chris. <laughs> one dollar? How are you? How are you affording my extravagant lifestyle here? Hey, uh, one dollar for the what's the what's the rate on that when I have to pump out this mailbag for ten thousand words and, and then it gets a dollar? It's not good. It's not a good rate for me. Oh, great. Well, until then, uh, stay tuned. We have plenty coming um, on the site, on the pike. I am Mike Kassaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.